Well, it's a great privilege to be with you tonight. I really do mean that. Um, you know, I, as we were singing that last uh, anthem, uh, part of that comes from the Nicene Creed, which was written in 325 A.D. And it was a time when Christianity for the first 300 years had been illegal. And Constantine, uh, who his mother actually became a Christian and supposedly he became a Christian, declared all of Christianity in the Roman Empire and all across Asia Minor to be the religion of the land. And so he called the first leadership meeting of the fathers from North Africa, from Asia Minor, from Rome, and they came together in Nicaea. And uh, here's the interesting thing about that creed. You just read, I believe in the God, the Father. I believe in Jesus. There were, there were all men. There were bishops, and there were a lot of women there, but they're all men who were in the first council. Of the 318 men in the first council with Constantine, 306 of them were maimed for their faith. An eye was poked out, an arm cut off, a leg maimed, their skin burned, their face, uh, all their facial hair burned off. Many of them had uh, lost their scalps because over those 300 years from the time our Lord ascended until the point of Constantine taking the throne and declaring Christianity the, the religion of the land and people lay off of martyring Christians, these men who loved Jesus, who sang that song repeatedly, maybe not with the same notes as we let it tonight, 306 of the 318 in the first council were maimed because they said yes to Jesus. It's a pretty amazing reality to know that we're able to sit here tonight and enjoy this uh, and worship the Lord and believe that same creed that those men came together in row based on the scriptures which they had in their presence. So, uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. Just thought I'd put a downer on the evening with that one. Uh, gee, bummer, Pastor Ted, what did you talk about that for? A uh, couple things I want to tell you before we get started. Um, you mentioned, Christina mentioned, that you're going to have a, a chili cook-off this weekend. Is that right? Where's Christina go? And she mentioned that you could, <laughs> you could actually bring canned chicken, uh, uh, chili if you wanted to, Right? Well, years ago, uh, gang, we used to have every, once a quarter, we'd have a church supper on Sunday night. And usually we'd do something special, like bring your homemade ice cream. And the church is pretty small, like the whole church was this group right here. And so we'd meet down in the old fellowship hall, and it would just roaches everywhere. And, you know, we'd hold our kids and, and pass out 22s to shoot roaches. And, and we all came together. We all came together, and you'd bring homemade ice cream. Well, I, it, I was really busy. I didn't have time to make homemade ice cream. I love homemade ice cream. I love to eat ice cream. You can tell by looking at me. Anything sweet, I'll eat. And so I, 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 what am I going to do? So this is a true story. So I thought, well, I'll just fake it. I'll go to the store and buy two half gallons of Bluebell homemade vanilla. <laughs> well, this, here's where I really pull a fast one on them. And, and I went into my garage and got the, the freezer and just took the cylinder out of the freezer. You know, the chrome cylinder, the, the stainless cylinder, like you would make homemade ice cream in. And I stuffed this ice cream into the cylinder. Took it to the, the dinner that night. And then, of course, we had, it was a big deal. We had all kinds of, um, of judges and they'd taste and they'd do this and that. Real serious thing, real. I got second place. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then I'm standing from all these people thinking, well, am I going to tell the truth? Am I going to lie? I mean, the pastor was in big trouble. <laughs> so I just came clean and everybody threw me out. But I got, a new, I got another job. I got my way back in. And the second thing I want you to know, 
based on Christina's announcement, was uh, she mentioned the boxes that Samaritan Purse takes. Listen to this. This is the this is the truth. Every Sunday on the front row of Christ Chapel, most every Sunday, there are all five there. There's a family, the Morrises. The Morrises have five girls, Russians. Well, one of them is not a Russian. All adopted. Four of the five girls, when they were young children, before they were adopted, received from an American church the box that you're going to fill up out there. It has the gospel in it. Uh, there are all kinds of things you buy for them. It's a Christmas box. It comes at Christmas, and it's got a, a gospel in their language in it. Four of these girls received it before, long before they met the Morrises. And it's just an astounding thing to see them there and know that an American church, just like you all, somewhere in the last 15 years took the trouble to do that and have it shipped all the way to Russia. And these sweet girls, different in different orphanages, opened these up, read, became Christians, at least two of them did, and became believers later, the other two did. And so do it. It really works. Uh, you can just spend seven bucks on the shipping and probably 20 bucks on putting this stuff inside the box. Couldn't be a better thing to do. So I'm hoping I'm encouraging with that. And I've probably taken up all my time here too, haven't I? I'm speaking. Uh, you should have some notes. You know, I have a, I'm a notes kind of guy. And it's my privilege to be with you tonight. Did I leave my, uh, yeah, a pointer over there? Is that pointer right next to you? Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, you've got your notes. I get those out real quick. And I'm going to put the scriptures up on the screen. What I'd like to do tonight, and by the way, I give notes out for two reasons. Number one, to help me follow along with where I'm going. Uh, but also, here's what I learned over all these years. Notes give added value to any kind of a teaching. So if you're teaching, like you're teaching your small group, you're in a teaching of any kind, when you can do notes and when you can fill in the blanks, as, as juvenile as it seems sometimes, it's the best mental way to keep record of what's being said, keeps you engaged, keeps the listener engaged. And so um, certainly uh, take my example on this because I've been doing it for 25 years and it's I still see people's notes every now and then somebody will walk by and their Bible will open up and their old notes will fly out and, and I'll look I'll pick them up and notice they filled in the blanks and made special notes beside it <clears throat> and I intend tonight this to be something you could teach in the future I want to talk to you about what God cares about and here's my big idea if you care about the things that God cares about, he is going to bless your socks off. And I'm not kidding you. After all these years of being here and 10 years before I, Linda and I came here, I got to see uh, how God blesses his people whenever we care about the same things he cares about. For me personally, you, I learned a lot about a person's character when I realized what they they love, they care about, what they treasure. Like, for instance, my wife, Lynn. I don't know if you ever met her. She's fantastic. Uh, I met her when I was 45, married her when I was 50. She was only 16. And so uh, <laughs> oh, people look at her and say, holy smokes. I've actually been standing next to my wife before, and someone say to me, this is, I'm not kidding you. Uh, introduce me to your daughter. My wife's, it's my wife, not my daughter, I say to them, and then I punch them. It's, it works every time. I mean, she's such a marvelous gal. I learned about Lynn early on that, uh, well, she, I am a little bit older, not a whole lot older, but a little bit older. And, and I always tell people that Lynn, here's why she married me. Lynn worships the very ground that my father struck oil on. And so she always loves me for, 
That joke still works after all these years. <laughs> she loves Heath bars. Eats them real slowly. She loves Turner Classic movies. On our DVR, the average date of the movies that we've recorded is 1942. We have some 32 movies, some 50 movies. She loves to cook. And she loves to cook because she likes to serve and she loves to have a meal with the family. And if you just knew my wife, Lynn, these things that she loves to do and that she treasures in life, you would you'd kind of understand what, what makes up her life. I, I have a lot of things I love to do, too. Let me show you a couple of them. First, I, I, uh, are we ready to go on this, guys? Nope. There we go. Well, point it back that way. Sorry, man. Uh, I love to fish. I caught that last Wednesday in a little pond by my house. And uh, no, that was, I caught that in the ocean. That's a redfish. Isn't that fantastic? So you can tell by looking at that that I'm a virile outdoor kind of man. Right? I mean, I don't take any guff off anybody. I am strong. I am just, I mean, I'm just, an, I'm, I'm my own guy. I, I am. Look at that big behemoth of a, and I ate the whole thing for lunch right there on the boat. But also, I, I'm also a, uh, uh, in, unable to do the, there we go. Uh, I'm a grandfather. Look at her. That's Alice. And she's not a little rat. That's a koala outfit. She's my koala. What are you laughing at? She's my koala. And here's another good one of her. Isn't that cute? Look at that. She loves, I'm Papa T. Papa Ted. And uh, I, my goal in life is to be with her. A little bit every single day. Uh, she means that much to me. She's my only grandchild, granddaughter. When my daughter, when, we, when Lynn and I came to Christ Chapel in 1981, Lynn was great with child, her mother. And my daughter, Cassie, has been a part of this fellowship since the moment she was born. And, and so is Alice since the moment she was born. So she's now just five and a half months old, and we're, just, we're having a fantastic time. You get to know a little bit about... Uh, someone by what they care about, what they treasure, what's important to them. The same thing's true with the omnipotent living God. You get to understand who he is based on what he really cares about. Moses says in the book of Genesis, uh, in the book of Exodus, that God lives in unapproachable light, which means we can't see him. Now, we do know what he's like, remember, because we know in the incarnation what he's like in looking at Jesus. We understand the character of God and the nature of God. But we also, as I said, get to know a whole lot about what he's like uh, by what he cares for. So there's seven things in the scriptures that we know God really treasures. You ready? I want to walk through them, make a few observations, pray, and go home to my wife, Heath Barr, and a Turner Classic movie. All right? The first one is, this is going to surprise you, I think. He treasures and cares about his glory. You know that? Probably higher than any other documented reason in the scriptures. His glory. All right, look at some passages here. You guys may have to help me with this. I'm not able to. I can catch big fish and hold little babies, but I can't take care of this. Psalm 96.3, the psalmist says this. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works amongst all the people. God cares about his own glory. Now, let's be careful that we understand what that means. God is not a peacock. 
He doesn't walk around puffed up looking in the mirror at himself. By the way, did you know, fact, the reason there are mirrors and lobbies and hotels next to the elevator? Fact. Because if the elevator's late, the mirror, full-length mirror by all these elevators and these major lobbies in our country, so you don't realize how long the elevator took to get there. Why? Because you're looking at yourself. Isn't that interesting? I just read that this week. I thought, that's right. I'm always looking at myself. In fact, I miss many elevators. They just keep going up and down. I just, hey, looking good. <laughs> Have you done, you've done that, haven't you? God is not a peacock. Uh, he created everything. He is perfect and completely holy. And I'm not even sure. In fact, I'm positive. I can't even explain that to you. But he cares about his glory. Why? Because he deserves the glory. He created everything. Everything that exists, including you, he created. Often I say to myself, well, I've done a good job in this area, done a good job in that area. I'm a good fisherman. I'm a good grandfather and all that. The truth is there's nothing in my life that's worthy of glory. Everything I have, everything I am, everything you have, everything you are, is because he wills and allows that to happen in your life. Almost every one of you in the room, in fact, everyone that I know of you in the room, and certainly there are probably no exceptions in this room, you're all well-educated. Uh, you're either looking for a career or you have a career. And, and so you're above average in our country, no question about that, everyone in the room. But everything you are is because he has ordained it to be so. His glory is important to him. Look at this next passage. Isaiah 48, my favorite passage on the glory of God. For my own sake for my own sake this is God speaking I do it for how should my name be profaned he's talking in Isaiah about people who profane his name I will give my glory to no other me alone his glory belongs to him kings can't take the glory of God men today in science try to take God's glory the things that he's created by duplicating those recreating them or claiming that man author authorized those or authored those in the beginning Isaiah forty-eight eleven. here's another one uh, well, Luke 2, 24, this is a great one. Glory to God in the highest. Look at this carefully. I, want every, I know all of you in your 20s. Look at this passage carefully. This passage is profound, literally. Glory to God in the highest. Now, who is speaking this? When anybody says to you Luke chapter 2, always when you hear the term Luke 2, they're talking about what? The incarnation. This is Christmas. Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest. These are angels speaking coming from the presence of the living God and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased glory to God in the highest give the highest glory to God it's important to him he treasures being glorified and then notice this on earth peace among whom what does it say those who please him I've seen this on billboards for years. Glory to God in the highest and peace on, to all men. Is that what that says? What does that say? This is the profound part of it. What does that say? Peace to whom? Those who please him. How do you please him? You give him the glory. God, thank you for this day of work. It was tough, but I accomplished this. Lord, thank you for my spouse. God, thank you for the ocean in which there are so many big, beautiful fish. Lord God, you created this breathtaking morning, the mountains, 
you created these wonderful dogs and cats. And glory to you for all your creation. Glory to you for your omnipotence. For everything about you, Lord God, glory to you. And that pleases him. And there'll be peace in your life. It's not for all men. It's just for those who please him. Kind of, do you get it? The first one is really his glory. I got to tell you, most of us wouldn't have gotten up this morning and said, what's important to God today? And said his glory. He is affectionate for his glory. Got that? How about another one? Let's look at a second one. Um, me and you. Me and you. Children, his children. Romans 5, 8. Throws it up there. But God shows, shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. What a great statement to us. But his love for us, his care for us, that he died for us. We were worth the Lord Jesus and his death. This is really about what God's done for us in Christ Jesus. This is about salvation. And what I thought I'd do, I, may hear my, I said here in my notes, stop for a moment and talk about salvation. So let's just talk about that. Let me tell you tonight how you go to heaven. And I'm sure you've heard different renditions biblically of how you go to heaven. No one goes to heaven unless their heart is there. It's that simple. I don't believe anybody goes to hell unless they want to go to hell. That's biblical. What do you mean by that, Ted? Well, people don't go to hell and stand before God and say, Oh, no, I didn't know that you were really who you are. I, if I'd only known the truth, I would have believed. No, they don't. When people get before God in eternity and they've rejected him, when it comes to judgment, you know what they do? Even in the judgment, they continue to reject him. They're still vile. They're still rejectors. But people who send their heart on to heaven, your heart's there. So you want to be there. So the question you should be asking, and any, anyone should ask if you're concerned about eternal life, uh, is how do you send your heart on to heaven? Remember the story of Moses? And he was put in a, in a little basket in the, in the Nile River, and he was retrieved out of that. There's a symbolism there. There's a metaphor there of what's, that was an ark. Remember Noah and the ark? That's another metaphor we're told in the New Testament. Jesus is our ark. And with, in a relationship with him, you crawl into the ark and he takes your heart to heaven. That's salvation. No one goes to heaven unless your heart's there first. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it's by grace that you're saved through your faith. Uh, it's a gift of God, not of yourself, so you can't boast. It's something God does for you when you put your faith in Christ and his finished work for you on the cross. Romans 8, 5, uh, 5, 8. God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what, happened, what did Christ do for us? He died for us. He died for us. If you believe that you are a sinner, if you believe that Christ died for you, you embrace it to the best of your ability. You say, yes, Lord, I accept that. For me, I, was, I got down on my knees at 16 by my buddy's bunk bed. I still could see the room. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of this. I definitely am not a theologian. I don't know what's going on here, but I know you're calling me to you. And what I want to do is send my heart ahead. Here it comes. And I just said yes to Christ. Yes to Christ. Um, that's how it happens. So 
I am important to the Lord. Uh, he, he treasures me and he treasures you in Christ. Here's a good passage, Matthew 19. If you, and this is Jesus speaking to the rich man who wanted to know how to get to heaven. He said, if you would enter life, enter life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus responded to the rich man, rich young man, actually said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. This is the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second screen, the young man said to Jesus, all these things I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, meaning mature, correct, right, go sell what you, what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Remember what Jesus also said, where your treasure is, your heart is, where your heart is, your treasure is. What is he telling this guy right here? And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was not willing to send his heart on ahead. And Jesus knew the only way his heart was going to get there was if he took all his possessions and sold them and gave them to the poor. It wasn't about having money. It was about his heart. If you're in Christ tonight, if you know Jesus, if you walk with him to the best of your ability, and I didn't mean perfectly, I definitely don't. I'm still learning every day, that's for sure, that's really for sure. Uh, your heart's already there. So you can rest in the Lord. My favorite verse in the, in the Bible is Romans 8.1. Uh, because I sin just like you. And I can be arrogant and, and I can say things and do things and think things that I definitely should not. But Romans 8.1 says this. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Send your heart ahead. Third thing. This will blow your mind. The third one is really blow your mind. It's totally there. It's Israel. Did you know God has a real heart? He really cares for. He treasures Israel. Israel. Genesis 12, 3 says this. Now, remember, Abraham is the father of the Jews, the father of Israel. And when I say Israel, I mean the geopolitical Israel, the land and the people, the Jewish people. But he's the head of the Jewish faith. And so God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse and I will dishonor you, uh, those who dishonor you or curse you, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a promise to Abraham that he was going to have a son, Isaac, and then that son was going to become a nation. That nation does exist still to this day, Israel. And if you want to be um, spiritually, politically correct, you need to care about Israel. God cares about that nation. That nation has a future. We have to be super careful about that. Do not reject Israel. Matthew 2, 6. O ye, O Bethlehem. By the way, Matthew 2 is also an incarnation Christmas passage. O ye, O Bethlehem. Uh, by the way, this is really awesome. See the word Bethlehem? That is in the Hebrew, that's Beit Lechem. Beit Lechem. It means Beit, uh, house of uh, bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. Think about it for a minute. House of bread. Who's the bread? Jesus, of course. Born there. Birthed there. Oh, oh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the, the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, who? Israel. 
Let me, let me liken it to you like this. As a young person, as a, as a young adult, career adult, you need to know what's going on in Israel, and uh, you need to be uh, embracing of it. Now, Israel is not perfect. Only 4% of the whole nation believes in any God. It is a secular country with secular leadership that's lost as a goose flying east. But God has, sorry, God has, he's got a plan for Israel. Israel is part, it's the geopolitical center of the world. And why is that true? Because the house of bread, the bread was born there. The soil of our salvation, our Lord Jesus, was born right there. And here's how I liken it, just as a way, by way of illustration. When my daughter Cassie, uh, Alice's mother, was at Baylor, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning I received a phone call. It was on a Saturday. It was a Sunday morning, actually, 2 o'clock Sunday morning. Dad, honey, what are you doing up so late? Well, I was headed to Austin to a uh, sorority party. Yeah? So this is how the conversation went. Yeah, so why are you calling me at 2 in the morning? Because when your kids call you at 2 in the morning, it's never good. It's never good. They're not saying, hey, did you see the news? Or, hey, Dad, did you read that new magazine article? No, it's not good. So, so what's up? Well, I'm with three other girls. Yeah, so, so. And I hear trucks going by. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, gee. So I said, well, what's up, honey? Well, Dad, my car, my, the red light was on on the dash. And I, and I said, so, and you didn't pull over? I've always taught my kids, pull over when the red light comes on, right? Well, I got these girls, and we're all dressed in our formals, and we're headed to Austin. And I said, so, what's happening? Well, I don't know, but the car won't run, and there's smoke coming out from underneath it. She had burned the car up, burned her engine up. She's between Austin and Waco, 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, she said, but Dad, I got a ride. Some guys are going to come get us and take us back to school. I go, oh, great. Yeah, it's okay, Dad. You know, they got beards and, they, you know, they've got stuff all over them, but they're tattooed and all this. And they're in a big truck, but it's all okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Anyway, they, they were safe. But here, here's the story before I lose it, total thing. The next day, I, I couldn't go, of course, that night, and I had to preach. Uh, the next afternoon, Sunday afternoon, there was a party in someone's home here in our church. And I was at the party. It's a pretty large party. And I was talking about Cassie burning her engine up, which may I go on record by saying it wasn't her fault. It was totally her dad's fault. The factory had told me that there was a problem with the engine. And I said, oh, yeah, I can take care of it. I catch big fish. I have little grandbabies. I, I didn't pay attention to it at all. She burned the engine up. So I'm, I'm at this party at the table, standing up, eating a cookie or something. And I mentioned to the person next to me about Cassie's car was somewhere on I-35 between Waco and Austin. And I don't know how I'm going to get it back here and get it repaired. And across the table was a gentleman who at that point I just only barely met. His name is Steve Gregg. Steve Gregg's very active in this church. He's a car guy. And he, tu- he turned and said to me he, out loud, did I hear you say your daughter's car's broken down? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Steve. It's between here and there. And he goes, I'll take care of it. I said, what? He said, I'll take care of it. I said, what do you mean you'll take care of it? I said, I'll take care of it. The next day at noon, he calls me. The car is in Fort Worth. He sent his pickup, his hauling truck, his tow truck, all the way down there. They found it. They hooked it up. They brought it back. The engine was coming on Wednesday. He delivered to my daughter in Waco 
uh, a new engine in her car, and she was off and running. My point is this. To this day, who do I love greatly in this church? Why? Because he cared for what I love so much, my daughter. God loves Israel. If you care for Israel, if you pray for Israel, if you're concerned about Israel, understanding its flaws and its sinfulness, it has a place. It has a place in God's heart. He will bless you. Never vote for a politician who's anti-Israel. Never do that, Christian. That's a major mistake. As long as America stays attached to Israel in some positive way, we at least have hope. But when we release ourselves from it, I promise you, it is going to be the kiss of death for us. Why? God loves Israel. So, number three thing that God cares about is Israel. Number four, the lost. The lost. He cares about the lost. Luke 19.10. And all of you know someone in your life who's not in Christ. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Those are folks in your workplace who don't know Christ. Imagine how blind you are if you have no insight into any spiritual truth at all. You don't really believe there's a God. You don't understand how he manifests himself in the person of Jesus Christ. You don't realize that the whole, all of life really is a plan that God has ordained that's unfolding. Human history belongs to him. You've heard his story before. This is his story. And he's in control of it. Sometimes I'm wondering if he hadn't gone on vacation. But I, I believe and I trust. There are folks in your world that are lost. He cares about them. The question I would have for me... And for you is, do you care about them? Do you care about them? The lost. Invite, seek, care about. You know, if you attend a good church, and some of you are involved in Christ Chapel a lot, and some of you may be new, but if you're not embarrassed about this church, when was the last time you invited somebody to come to it with you? Um, it was one, it's one thing if you invite someone to attend a worship experience or some kind of gathering in a church and it's embarrassing because it's poorly done. Uh, that's embarrassing. I totally get that. But if it's well done, then we're kind of without an excuse to at least care enough to ask. When, when I was in, doing my Ph.D. program, I was taught by a, a famous theologian named Norman Geisler. Norman Geisler is brilliant. I'm not understating that. He's got 23 books out. The guy's head is this big. He was amazing. When we, and I had him with a class. There were only six of us in the class. Listen to this. When Norman Geiser was seven years old, lost as a goose flying east, he had a neighbor who took him to church every Sunday for 400 Sundays. Calculate it, how many years that is. Eight years at least. What, and then he came to Christ. And now he's a revolutionary thinker and apologist. He's the head of a seminary. He's just an incredible man of God. What would have happened if it stopped at 395? And Norman had never said yes to Jesus. See, just, just, it doesn't take a lot. You got the point. The loss. He cares about the loss. Justice. This is a really important one. Justice. And I'll, I'll, quit, I'll keep going here and get this done. Justice. Is important to God. You, you may not know that, but He cares about injustice in our world. Isaiah one seventeen says this: Learn to do good. By the way, that's pretty much summarizes it all. Do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. I've been reading a book. Just finished it by 
a gal named uh, Suki Kim. She wrote a book that uh, is about North Korea. I don't know if you know anything about North Korea. I've never wanted to know about North Korea. I heard about the book. I read the book just recently. It's called Without You, There's be, There Would Be No Me. Subtitle, uh, Insight into the Elite Students of North Korea. North Korea is the most impoverished nation in the world. Did you, did you know that five years ago, 10% of the North Korean population perished from starvation? died from starvation in the 21st century and her book is so interesting because of all the injustice the oppression the lies everyone thinks lying is just the normal way to do telling the truth is not even relevant to them in in north korea according to her book and she was a teacher there for two years great oppression around the world there's so much oppression god cares about that and he he wants us when we see injustice happening in our world, to at least speak into it. At least pray about it. At least step into it. So justice. Six, orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. By the way, on the justice, injustice, the color of your skin, uh, the nationality, the language, all those things come into racism. That has to do with justice. Christians should be the least racist people on the earth. Accepting of all backgrounds, colors, and, and shapes and forms of individuals. One of my dearest uh, in, uh, friends in the world, really, she, I love her. In fact, she's taken our last name, is a gal named Angelina uh, Wee Sui from, uh, from Nanjing, China. I baptized her two years ago. She came over as an intern uh, with a, it was kind of a secular deal, and she came to Christ, never even seen a church. Can you imagine? She came over, visited us. She didn't know I was a pastor. We drive up to the church. On a, she thought I was a businessman. Never, she never asked me. I never told her. So we pulled up to the church on a Sunday morning, and and it just totally blew her mind. And over a period of a couple months, she began to ask. We talked. We prayed with her. She came to Christ. I baptized her. And you know what she's done? She's changed her last name. She lives in Nanjing, China. Her last name is Kitchens. Yeah, and it doesn't sound a bit Chinese to me, does it you? <laughs> Orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. Look at Exodus 22, 22 on the screen. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And then also look at Deuteronomy 10, 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or the alien, giving him food and clothing. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner. That, that would be alien. And the fatherless and the widow and all the people shall say Amen. And then another passage that goes along with this is probably summarizes this whole thought of where God's heart is, is James chapter 1. This is very important for you as a young person, as a young adult to know. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. You want to be religious? I personally don't want to be religious. Not about you, except in this particular category. What is it? You care about the widows and the orphans in our world. Now stop for a moment and ask yourself the question, is the concern God has here about widows and orphans and compassion toward them? Yes. But what's the real issue here? Family. Do you see it? It's family. The reason, the reason that, say for instance, the African-American 
community is dissolving like it is. And we're involved with ministries that are helping that. And it's becoming rapidly the, the uh, Anglo society as well. Is the family is falling apart at the seams like a cheap sweater. So if a widow loses her husband, there's no foundation for that strength of that relationship if there's a fatherless child there's no foundation there's no strength for the future of that child that that's the real point here our churches our society our community are totally dependent in their health on what the family unit now stop for a moment if you want to know what satan's involved in in the world today ask yourself where is he at work as it relates to the family where do you see it same-sex marriage. And by the way, I know 20-somethings in America today, you're the worst. It's accepted wholeheartedly by the 20-somethings in America today, both Christians and non-Christians. Now, am I saying that we are hostile toward folks who are same-sex involved? And uh, No, we love them because uh, adultery is a sin too, and so is thievery, and so is lying. and it's a, it's a sin, but it's a sin at the basic fiber of the country. So when the family falls apart, what happens to the country? It falls apart like a cheap sweater. Seriously. And that's what you see happening all around the world today. In France, it's, it's, in France the, population, the population of the French people today is below zero every year. In other words, the whole nation is retarding in its numbers which means economically, it's slowly pulling back on the throttle. People are growing older, which means they live, today we live longer, which means they take up more retirement, which means there's an economic collapse moving rapidly in the next 20, 30, 40 years, and possibly in your lifetime to that great country. It's about the family. If you, ever, if you want to protect our world, protect the family. Protect the family. And I'm going to come back in the new year and I'm going to teach you, if uh, Tyler will let me, after tonight, I'm going to teach you uh, on 20, uh, uh, 10 things I wish I'd known when I was 20, in my 20s. And hopefully they'll be helpful to you. Finally, his church, his church. Man, does he love his church. That would be uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I apologize, I'm, I'll quickly wrap this up. I tell you, he's speaking to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter's confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church of our Lord Jesus, he has more than a heart for, it is precious to him. And when we say church, when I say church, the ecclesia, it's not the building, it's us in the room who are in Christ. We are the church, male and female, we are the church. It's, it's uh, Ephesians 1, 22. Let's see that real quick. And he put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. We're the body, and we're precious. Is your body precious to you? Cut your head off and realize how precious your body, well, it won't matter. In fact, won't, will it? You won't. <laughs> but it's very precious to you. And then 1 Timothy 3, 5 says, if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? Paul is telling Timothy, 
taking care of the church is highest priority. And he want, that's why in the, the leadership of the local church, you always have men, and it is men because in the scriptures, women do lead the church too, by the way, but men in these capacities, and they need to be men who are married and who have children. Why? Because when you change diapers a couple of years and you feed and clothe and work and bring on the paycheck and fix flat tires, there's something about life that you can bring into the organization and the training and the direction of a local church. That's what he's meaning there. The church is important. So I have these final concluding thoughts. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you must have a local church to act as a spiritual umbrella over you. It is counter uh, intuitive today for 20s and 30s somethings to believe they need to be connected to a local church. Let me tell you boldly, I, I, I don't care where you go to church or what you do. I mean, obviously, I'd love to have you here, but you need to be connected to a local church. When I became a Christian at 16, my family had broken up. My mom and dad had split up. My siblings had gone with my mother. I lived with my father alone uh, at 13. I was lost and headed for only God knows where. Me and my dad living alone. Can you imagine it? Me and my dad. Did you know my dad? Oh, my dad was a wonderful guy, but he didn't take care of me. He gave me a car and 20 bucks, and I was gone. Christ got a hold of me. And guess who became my family? The church. I was there every time the doors were open. I'm not suggesting that. But I put myself under a spiritual umbrella of a pastor and an elder board. And I look back on it now and realize how protected I was from all kinds of evil because I was underneath a family of God. You need to be connected to a local church. There are no perfect churches. There are a lot of things in every church because a church is a family. Just like when you go to Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving probably half your family doesn't even like each other, unfortunately. You're, you just need to be a part of it. Why? Because you need to be under a spiritual authority and a spiritual umbrella. Secondly, you must be using your time and your talents and your treasures. Most of you in this room have good paying jobs. You need to be participating in the cause of Christ in your local church. Your leadership starts now. Lynn and I started participating financially when I was 19. I started when I was 19 before I married Lynn. And uh, to this day, um, if you want to know anything about my personal finances, I'd be glad to share it with you privately. I have absolutely no needs. Everything I own, everything is paid for. And I'm not totally sure how that happened. But since I was 19 until this day, when I was, before I was even your age in this room, in fact, I can remember once it was, I needed to tithe, and, I, and my tithe was $19.67. But I was checking into college. I had to pay my own way through all my schooling throughout my life. My father was a mechanic. He couldn't afford anything. And I went to school, and the books were $19.67. And so I thought, in those days, books were pretty cheap. Uh, this has been, I think the dinosaurs were still walking the earth. I believe that's how long it was. I had to decide between books for college or making my tithe. 
And so I said, I, I got to buy the books. The next morning, my Volkswagen broke down. The bill for repairing my Volkswagen was $19.67. God's my witness on that. Now, that may have been total coincidence. But for a 19-year-old guy who was you know, struggling to make a living just like you are, uh, it was a shocker to me. And I said, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to be faithful with my treasure. And I made my agreement with him. You need to make your agreement with him. And you need to follow through with it. And you will always be blessed. So here they are. The seven things that God really, really cares about. His glory. Me and you. Israel, the lost, justice, orphans and widows, and his church. And tonight what I wanted to do is challenge you to care about these things. If you will care about these seven things, you will not be able to absorb the blessings that he'll pour out on you. Would you pray with me? Lord, you're good to us. Uh, thank you for, uh, for providing for us, for giving us your word. And Lord, I thank you that you have uh, revealed a lot about your character, what's important to you, what, what you love and what you treasure. And, and that one of them is most certainly us. And that Jesus was willing to give everything he is and everything he was for us. Uh, Lord, we, we uh, have assembled here tonight to honor you, give you the glory, not preachers, not uh, uh, pastoral staff, not the volunteers, not this building, uh, not the church as a whole, but you. Would you be honored in our time together? And I pray, Lord, even tonight, you would have spoken to some of the folks in the room so that in, when they're 65 years old, like me, they could look back on their life and say, you have blessed me. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray in his name.